Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker. You can call me DW. And this is the next part in our uh, series of podcasts where you, the listener, get to know our stable of writers over at thefalcoholic.com. This particular writer, I think, tends to fly under the radar, but this guy is solid as a rock. He is constantly cranking out content at the Falcoholic. He is one of our editors. Uh, he does a fantastic job uh, keeping you guys informed late at night and with the early morning stories. Uh, he is the one and only James Rail. James, did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, yeah, like uh, like Railroad. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> I should have asked before I jumped on the podcast, but I, I like to just jump into the deep end of the pool, as it were. That was a very nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't know. A lot of our listeners probably don't realize we have an ongoing chat uh, with all of the Falcoholic writers um, where we try to stay in touch about, you know, stories and breaking news and stuff. Um, and it, like many of us, uh, you work during the day, uh, you stay pretty busy. Uh, and then, you know, it seems like at night we'll just see like James jump in and answer like 15 questions that happened during the day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh for a while there i gave myself the title uh king of late takes but yeah <laughs> well i think uh our readers at the site are certainly familiar with your work um i would say you're probably one of our most consistent writers and people uh periodically remind me they're like hey you know don't forget james man you gotta get him on the on the interview podcast so i was like oh yeah absolutely he's he is next next in line so here we are um so let's dive into it. Um, I'm going to ask you some of the same questions I asked Dave and, and Gina and Matt, uh, right. and we'll just, we just, we're just going to get to know you and, and what has turned you into a, a dark soul that wants to root for the Falcons. Right. Um, so let's start there. You know, what, what actually made you a Falcons fan and, and when did that happen? Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you don't live in Atlanta. So uh, did you grow up in Atlanta? Is, is there a history there? Tell us yeah. a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I um, I was actually, I grew up in Atlanta. We moved there. I wasn't born there. We moved there in 1989, and I lived there until 1998, so for about a decade, um, and I'm 34. Um, so I was one of those lucky school children that got to experience the 1990s in Atlanta um, and all those great Braves teams and oh, yeah. uh, a couple of good Falcons teams. Um, so that was really where it, where it all started. Um, I had an uncle um, who still lives there um, and he had season tickets to the Falcons and the Braves and uh, we would, we we would go to games um, and that's just really kind of where it started for me. Awesome. So you do have, and it's funny, the various writers at the site, I'd say more than half don't even live in Atlanta, yourself included. Uh, And it's interesting, you know, even our main, even the main guy, uh, Dave, 
uh, he's you know in the Northeast and uh, didn't even grow up in Atlanta. So you at least have a little bit of a, an Atlanta background that uh, gives you that connection to the team. Yeah, um, my, my uncle still lives there. My dad still lives there. So yeah, awesome. Um, so you mentioned the '90s. What's one of your earliest memories, fond or otherwise? Obviously, the Falcons have given us a mix um, of watching this particular team. Right, a miserable mix. Um, <laughs> I think when I really, when I really started getting interested, and granted, I was you know in grade school, but um, when Deion Sanders was playing for both the Falcons and the Braves in the early '90s, I mean that, I mean that was you know on the schoolyard, everybody wanted to be prime time. Um, so particularly, you know, 1992, 1991, around there, um, I, I really started getting super interested in, in both teams. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I was actually at the Braves game um, where they announced uh, on the scoreboard um, that, that primetime had been traded. Um, so, and within a year, uh, I think within a year, uh, I don't know if you have a fact check, um, he gets, he gets, um, well, he ends his time as a Falcon as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's when I'm in like third grade. And that obviously was, you know, that obviously was kind of tough to, to see, um, to see him walk, but he was, I mean, he was my idol and he's, you know, he's always going to be, you know, he's prime time, you know, you can't go wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think didn't, he was one of the only players to play in both a baseball and football game in the same game. And that, I think that's tr- true. Uh, I think he actually took a helicopter to get from one stadium to the next. Well, I think he tried because I think he, I know he was trying to, um, to play in both um, a football game and then the Braves divisional game um, in Pittsburgh in 1992. And I think he didn't make it. I don't know if he did it on a different date. You may be right. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and double check that, but I do remember those Dion days were a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, was, that was everything, you know? Yeah, big personality. That's awesome. Right. Um, all right. So, it's, I mean, it's one thing to be a fan of the team, to, to grow up rooting for this team and, uh, you know, getting disappointed and, and excited and, you know, repeating the cycle. Right. What actually enticed you to start writing about this team and why? So, I graduated from undergrad in, in 2007, and um, that was like the infancy of the Falcoholic. Um, and I was on the site as a comment, as a, you know, just a, a reader and I would comment and, and write some fan posts here and there. Um, and it was, it was a good little community back then. I mean, Dave was doing yep. his best to crank out content, uh, basically on his own. Um, and uh, at one point I remember, um, and this is probably two or three years after I at first joined the site. Um, it was in, I think 2010 cause I was in law school at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I hit up Dave and I just said, Hey, do you need anybody else to, to write for you? Um, and back then my, my login name was, uh, Frankie Wren playing off of <laughs> Frank Wren, the then GM of the Braves. Yep. Uh, but it, basically Dave said, sure, we need some guy, uh, some, some, somebody to come on and write about, you know, um, uh, statistics. Right. Um, so that's not really, I mean, that was not really my thing at the time, but I, you know, I jumped in and said, sure, I can do that. And that's also kind of when some of these advanced statistics started coming out as far mm-hmm. as, um, you know, DYAR and DVOA and, you know, pro football focus wasn't doing the stuff that they're doing now. I don't even know if they were around back then. Um, but just some of the advanced stats and some of the, some of the stuff that you can actually get on pro football reference, you know, just the, um, the stats that give you kind of a deeper look at, at, 
at how a player is performing and not just, you know, receiving yards or rushing yards, stuff like that. Especially at first series of pops on the foul, all about, um, you know, different statistics that people might not have considered previously. And it was a learning experience for me. Um, and then over time, um, you know, I've, I guess, <laughs> I don't know how to put this. I've seen a lot of writers like come and go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's been, I think there's been a, a more of a static core over the past like five, six, seven years. Um, but definitely, you know, a lot of, a lot of good writers have come through the site over the years. Um, and, you know, Dave, is, I've, I've never actually met Dave. Um, funny story. He was, he was, I, I live in Arizona. He was out here on a business trip last fall. And I was messaging him and I was like, come on, man, let's get a beer. And, you know, I guess he just didn't have time for me. So, uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, he, he was not able to make it happen. But, uh, you know, Dave and I have a decade long relationship and we've never actually met in person, which is interesting. I did get to meet him when he came down to Atlanta and uh, a couple times. Uh, and I actually went up to the state he lives in. I don't want to say it out loud. Uh, but I was in the state for a different purpose and we couldn't get together. So I completely understand. <laughs> um, all right. When you've written about the Falcons, as long as you have, as long as Dave has, as long as, uh, you know, several of us, uh, I, I think I joined the site back in 2011. So I've got plenty of terrible takes. Um, what is one of, in hindsight, what is one of the worst takes that you put on the internet that you look back and you just cringe when you look at it now? So I'm imagining, you know, the answer to this question already. Um, but, <laughs> um, back, gosh, I mean, it must've been two years ago now. Um, it was the off season, you know, we're looking for content because we're trying to um, you know, keep our readers busy. Um, and I wrote a post. Um, I'd seen an idea on Reddit. Basically people were saying, you know, what's the most, um, what's what's your favorite unpopular opinion about the falcons um so basically what you know what take do you have that you know is unpopular with the falcons fan base um and i was dumb enough to be critical of of tack mckinley's uh social media presence um and it was so in retrospect i just i don't even know why i cared i think i just was you know um i, I don't even know why i cared because frankly i i think he uh I, I definitely never wanted to be the guy to, to, to police what athletes do online. Um, and it's definitely not where I fall uh, in that debate, uh, whether athletes should you know, be doing things online that are kind of independent of what they do on the field. Um, so anyway, I, I wrote that I thought maybe he should tone down his social media presence a little bit um, to my, you know, you talked about the fact that I'm, you know, pretty busy at work and then I, I get home in the evenings. So I got a message from Dave that evening and, you know, he, he just basically said, Hey, just so you're aware, um, this is kind of going viral. Um, so I hop on, I hop on Twitter and my mentions are a disaster. Um, and it had a big fall. A number of alcoholic writers got blocked. Um, myself included. Yeah. Self included. And you know, if, Tack, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I still follow you on Instagram for what that's worth. Um, and your Instagram is great. <laughs> oh, man. That is that is one of the stories I think that's going to live forever in, in Falcoholic lore. Uh, <laughs> because My biggest concern was that it was going to wind up on Deadspin or something like that. You know? 
<laughs> um, lucky, lucky for me, it didn't. You know. Yeah, we, we've unfortunately, uh, Deadspin has uh, a, a bit of a, a beef with SB Nation, and uh, I'm, I am a little bit surprised they didn't jump on that one. But yeah. um, all right, flip the coin because right. at the same time, I feel like uh, we've watched the team pretty closely. Uh, we actually sometimes know what we're talking about. Uh, maybe what's one of the best takes uh, opinions you had where maybe people didn't agree with you at the time, but looking back, you were maybe ahead of the curve or uh, you, you nailed it. Well, I mean, so this is, this is a tough one, right? But if I, if I had to, and this is, you know, me kind of just um, searching for something, right. That I predicted uh, in advance, but I was pretty bullish on Brian Hill when the Falcons drafted him out of Wyoming. Um, I, I, I feel like I kind of saw, um, that he was someone who maybe didn't uh, necessarily, in terms of talent, belong at um, nothing against Wyoming, if there's any Wyoming football fans out there. Um, but I think he could have played at a, at, a, at a bigger school and he would have gotten more attention. Uh, mm-hmm. I know the verdicts on him might still be out in terms of, um, you know, what's he going to do um, going forward? The, the Falcons just, you know, tendered him. Um, but he, he seems to be sticking around in some capacity. I mean, the, the Bengals picked him up when we caught him. And, you know, he lands back on our practice squad. Um, he lands back on our roster. Uh, you know, he's not – I'm not saying he's a lead back or he's the guy that you want to pay big bucks, um, although, I, you know, I'm pretty opposed to paying running backs big money anyway. Right. Um, but I was pretty bullish on him from the outset and, and encouraged folks not to sleep on him. And, you know, he's hung around. For a few years so obviously there was something there notwithstanding I think he was a fifth round fifth round draft pick out of Wyoming yeah uh, so I I think you know he's he's a solid rotational guy um and I I think that's the only one that I can look back and find posts and see that I actually called it uh, on some level <laughs> <laughs> well I hope he continues to get those opportunities uh, obviously some uh, as we're recording this there was some big news about the Falcons running backs today so We'll see, we'll see what happens with Brian, but I, 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 I'm with you. I like him as well. Um, all right. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Tell us something, tell our listeners something that they may not know about you that is interesting, different, unique, your pick. Oh, man. Um, I almost, so I was, uh, I moved to Atlanta in 1989. Part of the reason we moved there um, is that we had previously lived in the Bay Area in California. Um, so in 89, when the big earthquake hit in California during the, during the world series, um, I was at daycare and, uh, at this daycare, um, there was a huge window, huge bay window. Um, and this window, um, for whatever reason separated from it's the thing that was encasing it. I don't know what you call that. Um, and this window came falling down and this random guy who had a kid at the daycare, um, literally leapt through the air and tackled me, uh, four-year-old me, um, and covered me as this huge pane of glass came crashing down on him. Um, so, oh, I guess. <laughs> um, so that's my that's my near-death experience. Um, at age four years old. <laughs> that is insane. Very random, right? Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Um, our other, uh, our other writers may have other, hard time. One other very random thing, and this one's Falcons related. Um, in 07 or 2006, 2007, give or take, um, I, um, 
was hanging out with my cousin who lives in Atlanta. He was dating a Falcons cheerleader at the time. Um, and um, we got special access to the stadium before the game. Um, and I wound up on a, on an elevator uh, with Rich McKay. Um, and it was just me, my cousin, uh, his cheerleader girlfriend and Rich McKay um, for a few floors. And I just kind of stared at him. Um, <laughs> and then my jaw, jaw dropped and just kind of stared at him for a few seconds. And then he got off the elevator. <laughs> uh, we should reach out to him on Twitter and, and see if he remembers you. <laughs> um, no, I do not remember him. All right. Uh, we're going to shift gears back to the Falcons. Um, all right. You've been watching him for a while. You've seen some different eras in Falcons football. Uh, this is going back as far as you want. Current player, past player, if you're going to put a massive poster on your on on teenage James Rail uh, <laughs> wall, what Falcons player would it be? Who is your all-time favorite? Oh, Matt Ryan. I mean, I so I've taken. I don't know if people even notice this, but every time I refer to Matt Ryan um, in a post that I write for the first time, the first time I allude to him, I say franchise quarterback Matthew Thomas Ryan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I think Matt Ryan is everything. Uh, you would want in a franchise player. Um, he's he's selfless. He's a he's a fighter. He just um, he battles. You know his teammates respect him. He's a good human being. He just gave a hundred thousand dollars to uh, pandemic relief. Um, he's just everything and more. Um, yeah. And I don't think people really understand how special he is and how lucky we are. I mean, I don't want to think about it, but in the next four to five years, you know, he's going to be looking at the tail end or conclusion of his career. And then we're going to have to navigate what a lot of NFL teams have had to navigate since, you know, 08, um, which is trying to bring on a new franchise quarterback. And we've seen how many quarterbacks fail miserably, first-round quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we're in for a rude awakening at some point um, when he's not under center anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think a year or two ago, I did something about quarterbacks drafted since Matt Ryan was drafted in 2008. Um, and something like between uh, the draft and free agent signings over a hundred at the time, I think it was like over 120 quarterbacks had gone in and out of the NFL. Right. Um, and of those, it was less than six or seven that had made it to the pro bowl more than once. Right. Which is like since 2000, it's just, it's stunning. And, and I think people need to keep that in mind when, they refer to Matt Ryan as a, as a bum. And like, it's just ridiculous to me. This guy holds not just Falcons records. By the time he gets done, he's going to be in the top seven, top five of several major statistical categories. Um, yeah. yeah, he's, I, I'm with you. I love him. I, I think this fan base doesn't give him enough credit. And uh, uh, I, I, I would join you in putting that poster on my wall. <laughs> All right, so you effectively answered the next question, which is your favorite active player. Um, So uh, we will get into the rest of the questions uh, for this podcast, Getting to Know James, uh, in our Getting to Know the Writers series at thefalcoholic.com. But before we get into the rest, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! 
What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. You can call me DW, and I'm with James Rail. Uh, we are talking about his life and times as a Falcons fan and someone who writes about uh, this crazy dark team. In <laughs> uh, James, before the break, we talked about um, your favorite uh, active player and, and arguably your all-time favorite player being Matt Ryan. So let's widen that a little bit up and say, if you're going to put three posters on the wall, <laughs> who are the top three in your mind that uh, teenage James Rael is going to take to Flowery Branch to get signed so he can pin those posters up and, and just admire them for years to come? Um, well, so I guess you can predict two. So definitely Matt Ryan, definitely prime time. Um, number three for me is absolute Tony Gonzalez. Um, oh, really? And I, you know, I, I wrote a post recently about the best tight end seasons in Falcons history. Um, and I guess I knew this on some level going into it, but when you really break it down statistically, I mean, it's not even close. He has four or five of them when you talk about the best seven or eight um, wow. and that, you know, that position, um, well, I guess we'll see how Hayden Hurst plays out. And I know there are mixed opinions about Austin Hooper. Um, and I think people kind of forget about how solid Jacob Tammy was. Um, but um, you know, that position has been kind of in flux ever since, you know, for a while there, we weren't sure if Hooper could be a franchise tight end. Mm-hmm. And then when he started producing, we said, well, yeah, he's a franchise tight end, but it's, it's kind of gimmicky because he's getting all these under routes and um, you know, he can't really uh, get separation and, and um, you know, win these uh, individual battles. Um, so I, I just, I think we were very lucky to have a player of his caliber yeah. uh, and, and who can forget, you know, when he, um, I don't know if you recall this, but when they do the announcements on Monday night football or Thursday night football, <laughs> about the roster when he did the play on Anchorman and said, you know, I'm Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. <laughs> Those were fantastic. So uh, he, he would round out my top three. That's such a great pick. And I feel like uh, he hasn't been mentioned so far. Um, Interesting. You know, obviously Matt Ryan has. Uh, Dion, I don't – actually, I, I, I'll have to go back and listen. I don't think Dion was mentioned as well. Um, maybe because – you know, for both Dion and uh, Tony, they didn't, uh, you know, last their entire careers here. Um, but uh, I think those are both great picks. Dion, in particular, I think uh, people forget just how dynamic his personality was and sort of the excitement he brought with him. And um, Tony was just, even, even though we got him at the tail end of his career, uh, he was still like fantastic. Yeah. Until the last game, until the last game, that guy was still one of the best receiving tight ends ever. 
Um, unbelievable career. So I love it. I love it. Those are great picks. Um, all right. Shifting gears to the sidelines because, um, this is interesting. You've seen some very interesting coaches come through Atlanta. Uh, it's funny. I look back and I think, you know, we've actually had a, a diverse, uh, set of coaches that have come through. We've had some pretty conservative ones. We've had some really uh, big personalities. You know, Jerry Glanville comes to mind. Um, and, you know, our current coach, Dan Quinn, is, you know, he's got his, his, his own style about him. So who is your all-time favorite Falcons coach? Doesn't have to be the most successful, just the coach that you enjoyed watching uh, on the sideline on Sundays. Yeah, I mean, this is probably an atypical pick, but I, I really liked Jim Mora a lot. Um, really? I don't know if it was just the era that, that he um, – I mean, I think I think here's why. My Falcons um, – I mean, I, you know, now I've endured so much as a Falcons fan, but I think when I really started to pick up steam in terms of paying attention to the roster and roster turnover and free agency and things of that sort was when I was in college – uh, which was like the mid two thousands. So, you know, the Falcons have a real issue with hiring these, you know, players, coaches um, (laughs) (laughs) aren't necessarily as, you know, effective as they should be on the sideline. Um, But I just, I had a thing for Jim Moore and I really respected him. And I thought he, I thought he really connected with his players in a way that um, I, I just admired, you know, looking back, especially when you see some of what Michael, you know, I love Michael Vick, um, but he, he did get away with, a lot. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of what he was doing behind the scenes and you kind of wonder, you know, what was Moore doing to address those things. Um, but that first season with Moore was exciting. I mean, he took us to the playoffs in the first season as head coach, um, got us a playoff win in the first season as the head coach. Yep. Um, yep. You know, it was, it was an exciting time to be a Falcons fan, especially with Mike Vick under center. Um, even though the rest of the league was resenting us for having him under center. Um, it was just an exciting time. And I look back on that time fondly. And I think he's, I think he's kind of underrated um, in terms of the history of the franchise. Yeah. In subsequent interviews I've seen of him, he's actually a a really, really smart coach. Like he knows football. Um, And I I think he was really young at the time. He probably in hindsight would have done some things different, but I love that. Um, And I love the fact that in this, getting to know our writers series, we're getting some really interesting distinctions between our writers. I think this is what our listeners uh, want to hear. Uh, so I love it, man. Uh, I love these, I love these takes of yours. <laughs> All right. Um, this one's fun for me because I feel like uh, these, these next two questions are, are really interesting because, you know, we've seen a lot of players come through over the past, you know, 10, 11 years watching the team, covering them. Um, who is in your mind the most underrated Falcons player throughout your time covering the team? So I don't, I guess I don't know how, how underrated he is, but I think um, some of the younger uh, Gen Z Falcons fans may not even think about this guy on a frequent basis, but uh, Bob Whitfield for me was um, somebody who um, did a lot for the team. I mean, we're talking about a guy who basically anchored, the left tackle position for a decade. Um, I think he played 162 games as a Falcon. Yeah. Uh, that's rock solid uh, in terms of an, uh, an offensive lineman. Um, 
And, you know, I, he, he also had a big presence in Atlanta in terms of his char- charitable work. Um, so I think just overall, just a solid guy from a character standpoint, um, from, from a, a, a team leadership standpoint, from a durability standpoint. Um, I think he, he flies under the radar too often. I know he only had, I think, one Pro Bowl. Um, I, I don't know how that happens, but the Pro Bowl is, you know, the Pro Bowl. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, – and I, I think a lot of people have said, you know, throughout the years, and rightfully so, uh, that the Pro Bowl is not an accurate measure of the quality of a player. You know, I think uh, you look at someone like Babineau, uh, right. who for years was just, you know, same kind of player, rock solid and just, you know, a constant force in the middle of the defensive line. And I, I, I don't even know if he made a Pro Bowl uh, in his time. So um, right. I don't think it's a great measuring stick, but that's, yeah, that's such a great pick. And I, I feel like um, offensive linemen never get the credit they deserve um, unless they're, you know, the hall of famers. And it feels right. like if you're not a hall of famer, uh, then you were a bust, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, all right. Other side of that equation in your mind, who is maybe one of the most overrated Falcons uh, through the years. And uh, let me preface this by saying um, overrated as far as like maybe some of the fans thought, all right, this guy's going to be it. This guy's the the next XYZ player. He's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Um, who do you think that you know fans locked onto that was just way overrated, or you don't understand the hype? Well, I mean, so I definitely understand the hype on this guy, um, but I'm going to say Mike Vick. Um, I, you know, and I was guilty of this as well. Uh, I remember when he, when when the uh, the criminal case popped off and. And there was all this speculation about when he would be back. And I, you know, I was firmly in his corner as far as we need him back. And, um, you know, it'll be okay. We'll make it through this time and then he'll come back and, and we'll get back on track. Um, but looking back, I think some of what um, made him such an, uh, an alluring player was his unique skill set that we hadn't seen in the NFL, at least not at that level um, ever before. Um, but in terms of what he actually did for the team, you know, I, you know, his playoff record is, was two and two as a Falcon. Right. Um, but his quarterback rating was horrible in the playoffs. Um, his completion percentage was mid (laughs) fifties. So, um, he was, he was a very dynamic player. Um, but we know now, um, some of what was kind of going on in the backdrop and I'm not saying that stuff that he should have been able to overcome necessarily. I mean, that's tough. I think people are really hard on NFL players who often come from, um, very, um, humble backgrounds um, and have to figure out how to distance themselves uh, from old friends and how do you say no to people who want you know a, a helping hand or support um, that's tough I've never been through that so I can't right. say I understand um, but I think we know now that he wasn't as focused as as he really should have been as a franchise quarterback and I'm not I'm not happy by his that, own words yeah I'm not I'm not happy that what that what ultimately happened in terms of the criminal case and um, all the, you know, the collateral stuff that came along with that, um, ever, ever occurred in the first place. Um, but it was, you know, in, in some ways kind of a blessing in disguise, you know, we had to endure a season of, um, you know, Joey Harrington and Byron Lefwich, um, Chris Redman, uh, Chris Redman. I loved Redman though. Yeah. They took him off the, off the couch. He was a painter. Um, <laughs> 
Um, but you know, we got, we got, we ultimately got a, a decade plus, hopefully 15 years of Matt Ryan out of it. Um, yeah. so talk about blessings in disguise. It all worked out in the end. And, um, you know, I have fond memories of Mike Vick and, and what a dynamic player he was. I mean, I, I remember, um, I'm not a big Madden player any, anymore, but, um, in the mid two thousands, I could, I could play with the Falcons. Oh, straight yeah. I was an actual Falcons fan, you know, so it wasn't cheating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Vick was a cheat code in Madden. Yeah. Right. So I think I think in some ways he was a little overrated. I think it's interesting that some of our um, some some of the Falcons fan base still has a uh, some kind of a, uh, a fondness for him, as if you know things would have been better if he would have you know stuck around. Um, I, I get that he did a lot for the community to have someone um, that yeah. was as dynamic as he was. And, and two, he's a person of color, you know, in a, in a community like Atlanta. I mean, I think that did wonders for the kids in Atlanta to see a, um, a person like, you know, Mike Vick coming from very humble beginnings, a person of color um, as the face of a professional f- football franchise. And I think that's why, I mean, I think that's why to this day, Arthur Blank is so fond of him and, and there's always going to be a special place for him in Atlanta. But ultimately, big picture, um, you know, he was a little overrated. Yeah, uh, I, I think – Vic is always going to have a special place in the hearts and minds of Falcons fans. And for, you know, for good reason, uh, obviously he is, uh, he was bigger than the sport for a period of time. And I think you're right though. You know, he, in, by his own words, he even said that in his time in Atlanta, he did not put in the work that he should have. Right. Um, you know, he sort of took it for granted because he was such a special talent. He was able to do so much based just on the talent alone. Um, it makes you wonder what he could have accomplished if he had put more time into becoming, uh, you know, the more complete quarterback. And we saw glimpses of it, you know, in Philadelphia, uh, where he had some monstrous games uh, in the time that he was there. Uh, right. And, you know, I, I think you're – what you're saying makes a ton of sense because I've, I've seen it too. I've seen a lot of Falcons fans say, Oh, could you imagine if, if Vic had Julio, if Vic had, um, you know, all these guys that Matt Ryan has. And the thing is, is, you know, uh, he, he squandered his opportunity. Um, and it's uh, for better or for worse. Uh, you know, some of the decisions he made put him in a situation where uh, he wasn't able to get that opportunity. So, I hate it. Uh, I still love Mike Vick. He he's done his time, and I hope he continues to be, uh, you know, a, a, a member of the Falcons, um, you know, as he has been. And I love the fact that he and Matt Ryan have a great relationship now. Um, like I feel like for fans, there was an animosity that they wanted to create between those two guys, and it doesn't exist, uh, which is really cool. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, you got me onto it. Like anytime someone talks about Vic, I, it's like, that's a, it's always such a fiery topic. Um, all right. Most gratifying win for this Falcons team that you personally have experienced. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm at present an Arizona resident, but I, I lived in Wisconsin for a long time. Um, and in January of 2017, I happened to be a Wisconsin resident. Um, so the, um, conference championship over the Packers in, in January 2017 was was pretty special for me I mean I spent an entire week uh actually probably two weeks before that game um talking way too much smack to every, uh, every Packers fan I could find um and Packers you know Packers fans are, are a special breed 
Um, they aren't, in my experience, necessarily the most well-informed fan base, um, um, but they are certainly passionate and they show up for games, which is not necessarily what you know what we can say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, that game was just special, and and to watch us basically blow them out. I mean that that Julio touchdown. I mean that that was everything, um, and just just feeling um, absolutely elated that we we're going to the Super Bowl and. Um, you know, you know, when I, when I was, um, in, I guess, eighth grade and the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, I was a fan, but I wasn't, I hadn't been writing for the team for seven years. And I think people don't necessarily understand. I mean, we, we are very invested in the day day to day of the team and we can't zone it out. If it's a bad season, you know, we have to, you know, we have to get through week 17 and it's, it's a, it's a daily investment. And, um, I think just on, every level that game was um, very special. Yeah. I, uh, I mentioned on the one of the other podcasts, it felt like the payback for 2010 when Aaron oh. Rodgers came in and, and torched us um, in the playoffs. So we had to double by. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the, you mentioned, I mean, Julio had, I think two touchdowns in that game. For me, the one right before the half with the tiptoe inbounds. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, and it was such it was such a uh, Kyle Shanahan move where they had I think twenty they had a twenty one to nothing lead at that point, and I think they had six seconds left. It was third down, and he still threw the ball, and he was like, "I want to run it down their throats." Right. Right. And oh my God, like when that, when, when Ryan connected with Julio on that touchdown, I just, oh, that was, that was glorious. (laughs) All right. Last two questions. This is going to get a little bit dark. Prepare yourself. Fair enough. Um, How hard did 28 to three, the Super Bowl loss, hit you? Uh, is there anyone in particular that you blame for that loss? What was the like the fallout for you personally of you know arguably the darkest moment in Falcons history? Oh wow! So this was I mean this was such an interesting game for me. Um, you know you would think you know the Falcons you know going to the Super Bowl for the first time in almost two decades um, that I would have been very drunk during the game, uh, but I really wasn't. You know it was interesting. I I maybe had like two or three beers over the course of the entire game and and um, you know, definitely stopped drinking um, <laughs> when things started to fall apart. Um, what's interesting, and to this day, I blame my wife for this, right? Um, we, so I'm not, you know, nothing against uh, my fellow alcoholic writers, but I'm not the biggest drinker anymore. Uh, I mean, I will definitely, when I'm around the right people, um, <laughs> I will address a bit. Um, when we talk about, um, you know, get-togethers with, like, college friends, um, but I'm not the biggest drinker anymore. So consequently, I'll have these get-togethers in my house, barbecues, whatever. And I'll wind up with just a ton of extra beer in my fridge. Um, and it just kind of hangs out there for a while. And it's the most random assortment of beer, right? Um, so before um, everything started to fall apart in that game, my wife brought me a beer and a koozie because um, she's a very nice wife. And she knew that I was, I was doing some social media stuff during the game and I was pretty fixated on the game. And I started drinking it. And I, I noticed something uh, about the beer um, and I pulled it out of the koozie and the beer was a Sam Adams, which is, you know, a Boston beer. Oh uh, man. 
Right. Um, and shortly thereafter, the game started to fall apart. So I know people like to blame, you know, Devonta Freeman with the missed, uh, the missed block or, or, um, or Kyle Shanahan for not running the damn ball. Um, <laughs> but to this day, uh, I blame my wife and um, I, will go down, I will go on for the rest of my life. Um, and my wife, my kids will hear about this. Um, it is my wife's fault that the Falcons lost uh, the Super Bowl. So just so you all know. <laughs> Dang, man, that is, that is some next level darkness right there. Right. Wow. All right. The universe was just mocking me. <laughs> uh, we're all just uh, peons in the James Rails sim- simulation. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Last question, and we're going to wrap up this podcast. What are your thoughts on the current Falcons regime? I mean, all the way to the top, Arthur Blank down to the players. And what are your personal hopes for the 2020 season? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to not feel this way, but I think we're getting toward the tail end of the window, so to speak. I know people talk about this, you know, the Super Bowl window, and I don't really know what that means, but I think we're at a point now where um, certainly if, if Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov can't, can't get this team back on track between now and when the season starts, um, we're going to be looking at a wholesale regime change. And, you know, it happens, you know, you replace a, a GM and a head coach, you know, like, like with Mora and you get back to the playoffs the same year. Um, but that's not a frequent occurrence. And I think um, it's been an interesting week. Um, we've seen the Falcons take some big swings. Um, you know, they're paying Todd Gurley a lot of money um, to do um, what I'm not sure. You know, he's, he's got a lot of health concerns, so it, it yeah. remains to be seen how effective he can be. And um, they're throwing a, a fair amount of money at him. They, they br- uh, brought on Fowler this week. Um, they walked away from Desmond Trufant, making that a you know a post June first cut, um, which I think you know that that numbs the, um, the sting a little bit. Um, but I still you know I I don't think Trufant was necessarily someone they had to part with. Um, he's not a top ten corner. He's arguably not a top twenty corner. Um, but his you know his PFF coverage grade last year was was I think fortieth. Um, and he had four picks last year. And if he had mm-hmm. stayed healthy, I think he probably would have graded out higher um, over the, the back end of the season. Yep. Um, so I just, I think they're taking some big swings. They're cutting guys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident they're going to go, you know, best linebacker, best cornerback available in, in the first round. Um, I think they're taking a very ambitious, you know, pedal to the floor approach. Um, and I, I understand why uh, they kind of have to go that route. And I, I think it makes sense, even if it makes us all a little uncomfortable. And it's, yeah, we don't know if Hayden Hurst is going to be um, a capable um, starting tight end. Um, I think there's a lot there to suggest he could be, um, that he's got a ceiling um, that would be respectable. So I, I, I think they're taking some big swings. I think if these big swings don't work out, it's just going to further our animosity toward, um, you know, gratuitous slogans and um, uh, – <laughs> Expensive bike shorts collections. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I respect what they're doing. I think they have to take an ambitious approach. Um, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Matt Ryan fan and I, I, I really want this for him. Yeah. Um, I want it for Julio. Um, I, I want it for Ricardo Allen. I want it for um, all the guys on this current team that, um, you know, have been with the team for, a long time and, and, you know, they've earned it. 
And um, if we're going to get into any kind of an argument about whether Matt Ryan belongs in the, the Hall of Fame because he doesn't have a Super Bowl win, I just, you know, I'd rather avoid that argument entirely. Um, so I'm just really hopeful that these big swings pay off and um, maybe they won't. Maybe it's a coin flip, but I think there's a decent possibility they get them back on track. Um, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Unsure is what we'll call it. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think that's a, uh, a good compromise of all the positions out there, uh, given everything that's going on. So um, fantastic. James, I think our listeners have gotten to know a lot more about you. Uh, and obviously they can find your stuff at thefalcoholic.com. Why don't you tell them where they can find you on social media and what you have going on? So I don't have the biggest, uh, I don't have the biggest Twitter presence. I think I just, um, I'm not willing to wade into those waters <laughs> too deep. Um, but, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at, at Falcoholic James. Um, I think I have like 500 and something followers. Maybe I can, maybe I can pass 600 this season. Um, but otherwise if you're looking for my articles, um, I've been trying to, I've been trying to skip the late night posts lately and just schedule things ahead. So you won't necessarily see them at night, but you'll see me, you'll see plenty from me in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Um, and just keep your head up Falcons fans. We can, we can get through this. Yeah, absolutely. As always. I mean, if we can make it through 28 to three, we can make it through everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, James, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you setting aside time to let our listeners get a little bit, uh, get to know you a little bit better. Um, and I certainly appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, for James Rail, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Falcon Park Podcast. And we'll talk with you next time.